Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. So good uh, to be here this morning and to be together uh, on this not sunny but lovely morning. Amen. Great. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever dreamed of or imagined or really wanted or hoped for something and then found yourself in it? Whatever it might have been, whether it was a dream holiday destination or whether it's a sight you always wanted to see or maybe forgiveness from someone that you didn't think you deserved or a job that you wanted but didn't think you could get and then got. And those moments when we are alive in what we had been hoping for and dreaming of and waiting for and wanting, we're there, (laughs) we're experiencing it. Those moments that stare us to awe and to wonder and to gratefulness. We're there with our stories, we're there with what we've dreamed of, we're there with what's happened to us, we're there with who we are and we're in the moment. I know that I have shared some of the story, but for those of you who don't know, my dad, when he was younger, had always dreamed of going to India to explore their religions. And so when he was 18, he set off to hitchhike over there. Um, And he got as far as Greece, and he heard there was jobs in Israel, so he detoured there, but there was no jobs in Israel, so he sold his blood to get ferry passage back to the UK. So he had quite the adventure, but he never actually got where he wanted to go. But the desire never left him. So the next year, he bought a moped, and he was quite big news. It was in the local paper, the Bootle Times, um, which was the area of Liverpool that he was from. And it was like, local lad sets off to India on his moped, and there was these big farewells, and, you know, it was, go, go, adventure, adventure. And then he broke down in Wolverhampton. (laughs) (laughs) And he never made it there. And he actually came back and made picket signs and protested outside the moped shop because he thought they'd sold him a dud and they wouldn't give him a refund. Don't buy your mopeds here. (laughs) But but you know what? He carried it, but he just thought it was never going to happen. He just, life continued. And he thought, I'm probably just not going to make it to India. And then last year for his 70th birthday, we surprised him on his birthday with tickets to India. <laughs> and we gave him, and all day he was just saying, we'd actually did this big setup and he didn't get it. We thought he'd get it from all the clues. And in the end, we were like, you going to India? <laughs> He's like, and all day he was saying, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And then six weeks later, me and my sister took him. And um, we flew first of all into Delhi. And then one morning, early one morning, we got up and we got a train to Agra, which is where the Taj Mahal is. And this photo is, that is coming up on the screen, it's not a great photo, the Taj is actually a bit skew But this photo, if you can see, this is the moment that my dad saw the Taj Mahal for the first time with his own eyes. And the words that were coming out of his mouth as we caught this photo were, Keith Wells from Bootle. Is that the Taj Mahal? (laughs) Keith Wells, he just kept saying it from Boodle. Is that the Taj Mahal? He was there with what he'd hoped for and dreamed of. He was there for what had happened to him, and he was there in wonder and gratefulness 
and awe, I'm here. And this is what we are going to be looking at this morning. These moments of wonder and gratefulness. And the holy privilege and duty of wonder and gratefulness. And Andy so brilliantly introduced our series last week where we are going to spend the next few weeks looking at people's moments, people's visions and encounters with God and how they changed them, how those experiences awoke them and how it helped them understand God and life. And we are thinking today about one of these moments because we are not just looking at these as historical fact, great for those guys in the Bible. Because the Bible is alive and active, we actually get to find our story in these moments, in these encounters with God that are recorded in the Bible. And so we're looking today at 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 1 to 3. If you have your Bibles or it will come up on the screen and it's called The Dedication of the Temple. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped. And they gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good. He is good, and his love endures forever. He is good, and his love endures forever. What was happening here? What was happening in this moment? This moment that had led them to kneel on the ground with their faces bowed down in wonder and awe and gratefulness and to sing of the goodness and the love of God. Well, this was no disconnected moment. Their story had brought them here. Their story, what had happened to them and who they were had brought them to this moment. And this is their story in brief. Now stay with me because we're going to go back. Because when God created time, he created two people, Adam and Eve. And he created them in love and for love to be alive in his presence. But they chose to give their hearts and their attention elsewhere and they left his presence. And humanity and God's friendship was broken. But years later, there was a man and a woman called Abraham and Sarah, and they were married. And when they were really old and they hadn't been able to have any children, God appeared to Abraham and said to Abraham, hey, can you count the number of stars in the sky? Can you count the number of grains of sand in the desert? And Abraham said, no, like no way. And God said, your descendants are going to outnumber what you cannot count. And miraculously, when they were very old, Abraham and Sarah had a son called Isaac, And Isaac had children, and his children had children, and their children had children, and their children had children, until years later we find the tribes and the descendants of Abraham filling the land of Egypt where they had come to live. There were so many of them that the ruling powers were actually afraid that they were going to overthrow them. So they enslaved them as brickmakers. And for hundreds of years, this was how they lived, enslaved under one pharaoh after another all the time, asking God for freedom. We have heard of this land that you have for us to live in. We have heard that you have a place where we can live in friendship with you. And then one day there was a man called Moses 
And for a series of events that you can read about in Genesis, he was born an Israelite but grew up in the palace and then was living in the wilderness, probably in a bit of a state of despondency. And God set a bush on fire in front of him one day to attract his attention. And God said, listen, you're going to help me lead your people out of slavery. And after a tug of war with the Pharaoh, that's what they did. All of the Israelites, all of the descendants of Abraham that numbered thousands, thousands, thousands by this time were led out of slavery by Moses and God. God himself made a way for them. God led them by a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. He provided food for them every day. And just before they were about to enter this land that he had for them, he said, before we go in, let's make a covenant. Let's make a binding, lasting agreement. I will love you. I will be faithful to you. I will be your God. I will protect you. I will look after you just as I had done on this journey to freedom. Your part to play in this is, can be summed up as love me with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and love one another well. Well, it seems and turns out that the people said yes, and then they said no, and then they said yes, and then they said no. Their hearts were given to God, and then gold, and then God, and then other gods. And they wandered. They were looking for freedom and identity and belonging and purpose in all these other places. And so they spent years in the wilderness. But years later, we find them, actually, they have entered the promised land. And God says to them again, listen, I'll be your king. You'll be like no other people on earth. I will be your king. And the Israelites said, could you give us a human king? We actually want to be like everyone else. So because God doesn't make anyone love him, he gave them Saul, who didn't really do very well by them. Then he gave them David, the poet, the shepherd boy, the warrior, who even though he was later corrupted by his own power, still had a heart to worship God. So much so that David wanted to build God a temple, a physical building where heaven and earth would meet, where God's presence would dwell, a sign that God was with his people. But God said to David, no, in a Hebrew play on words, he said, you're not going to build me a temple, but I'm going to give you a family. I'm going to establish your throne. And as a sign of this, your son can build me a temple. And so we arrive in two chronicles with Solomon, the son of David, who has built God, a temple, a place where the people have come to, to worship him. They had carried this, what was known as wooden box, known as the Ark of the Covenant, that contained these stone tablets of the commandments, and it was their holy place, and they brought that into the temple. We find them here. They were gathered for a feast where they were actually remembering how God had led them out of slavery. And we find them here, they brought their sacrifices, so many of them, that they couldn't even count them. And we find them here with their story, their story of slavery, their wandering hearts, their coming and their going, and their story of God's continued faithfulness. And we meet them in this moment. And there are five happenings that we're going to pick up on through this that we're going to trace through to the New Testament, and then we're going to look at how our own lives connect with this. So five things. They have returned. They have returned to the promises and the presence of God. They have brought their sacrifices and their offerings. It says there was actually so many animals and grain that it was spilling all over the place. You couldn't even count how much there was. It represented their best. We want to give you it all, God, because you have given so much to us. 
And they were there with their sacrifices. The sacrifices are used in different ways throughout the Old Testament, but these were sacrifices of thanks, offerings of gratefulness. Solomon had actually said, listen, God, I know I'm going to build you a temple, but I can't contain your presence. No one can do that, but this temple will be a place where sacrifices of gratefulness are brought, a place of awe and wonder. And they had prayed. We find what Solomon had prayed in chapter 6 when he just says, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you've never left us. Would you hear our prayers? Would you always be with us? And it says, when Solomon had finished praying, fire came and consumed the sacrifices. God's fire, as we've already thought about, his purity and his power and his very own presence accepted and received all that they brought and he met with them. And the Israelites worshipped. This is why we find them on their knees. This is why we find them bowed down. God, you have never left us. Your love endures forever. You're so good. You've been so faithful to us. This was the moment that we find them in. And we see this narrative woven throughout the Bible. Because if you go on to read the Old Testament, you'll see sadly that the Israelites' hearts wandered again and again and again. But God's heart never did. He was faithful to the point, hundreds of years later, of giving Jesus. And when Jesus came to earth and he died and he came back to life, he opened a new chapter in humanity's friendship with God. He was faithful. He was from the line of David, just as God had promised And we find, if we just flip forward for a moment to Acts chapters 1 and 2, we find in these chapters another group of people. And these were the people who, when Jesus was alive on earth, he had gone around and he had said, hey, will you be my followers? Come, let me love you and love you, love me. And these men and these women had given everything to follow Jesus. But we can read that in the moment that Jesus was arrested, they fled. They all ran away. In the moment that Jesus was crucified, none of them were there. It just says that a few women and John watched for a distance. They'd all ran. They didn't know what was going on. They were confused. They wondered what on earth was happening, and they'd gone. They denied. They even, no, no, I didn't know Jesus, said Peter. But when Jesus came back to life, it's recorded in Acts 1 and 2. What did he spend the time doing? He was on earth for another 40 days. And do you know what he did in those 40 days? He spent those 40 days going around and regathering everyone. He spent those 40 days going and finding every one of his people, every one of his friends, every one of his disciples and saying, hey, I know you ran. I know you were confused. I know it didn't look like you thought it was going to look. I know that you didn't know what was going on. I know that you were afraid. I know that it felt like it was too much, but it's not over. Come back to me, come back to friendship with me, come back to one another. Because the spirit that has been alive in me while I've been on earth, I'm going to go physically, but you will receive my spirit. And so we find them, the disciples in Acts 1 and 2, and they have returned. Thomas and Peter and Matthew and Andrew and John, they have returned to friendship with Jesus and to one another. And we can read, excuse me, says they prayed, they were joined constantly together in prayer along with the women. And then what happened? The echo of two chronicles. 
God's fire and his presence came. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that had separated and come to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This time God's presence came, not to consume the sacrifices of animals or grain, but to rest on the sacrifices that each of them were bringing with their own hearts and their own lives. And this time, I don't mean just, but God's presence didn't just (laughs) fill the temple. It said it separated and rested on each of their lives in each of their hearts because we're told in the New Testament that anyone who chooses to be a a follower of Jesus is a temple of the Holy Spirit, living places of God's faithfulness and his love, living encounters with God that carry his presence. And they worshiped as they began to pray and tell of all that God had done for them. Wonder and gratefulness, chronicles and acts, returning and prayer and offering God's presence and worship. We see it echoed. And I don't know, but with a bit of imaginative license, I imagine just maybe like when my dad saw the Taj Mahal, them saying, Solomon, son of David, is in God's presence in the temple that I've built for him. Peter, the one who said I didn't even know Jesus has been found by him. Thomas, who doubted that Jesus actually ever would rise from the dead, was invited to come close. Mary, who was shamed by other men, has been given dignity in Jesus. And every one of us can put our names, our lives in a sentence like that, because every one of us can find ourselves in this story, in these stories. How? Because we can all return. We can all return, whether for the first time or for the thousandth time. We can return to the original lover of our hearts. If we are looking for freedom or for peace, for hope, for strength, for power, for authority, for wisdom, for grace, it's found in the one who loved us first. And we can return. It doesn't mean that everything is suddenly perfect. I don't think when the Israelites bowed down in the temple that all their marriages were suddenly perfect, their children were never naughty again, all their relationships were suddenly super smooth. But there had been turnaround. They were no longer looking for love, but they were living from love. And there's this sense that when we return, we're returning home. Not everything is suddenly perfect, but we're not looking out there We are living from a place of belonging and being known and being loved. My favorite singer when I was four years old was John Denver. And her, my mum used to put on the, the leaving on a jet plane. It was the only thing that would get me out of, school, out of bed every morning before school. But he had a line in one of his songs that was, he was born in the summer of his 27th year, coming home to a place he'd never been before. Every one of us can return, whether it's for the thousandth time or the first time, to home, the original lover of our hearts. And as we return, we get to bring our offering. We get to have an offering that we can give to God. We get to bring a sacrifice. 
And a sacrifice is to give up something valued for the sake of other considerations. And I know I tell a lot of school stories, but um, one of, when of, I was a full-time teacher, at the end of the year, if you're a teacher, you will know you get often given lots of presents and lots of like really lovely, some random, but really lovely, kind presents of chocolates and wine, like really lovely. But my most memorable gift was from Daniel. And Daniel was five years old when he was in my class. And he came in with his dad on the last day of term. And he came in, and as he walked towards me, he had an envelope, and he gave me this envelope. And as I opened it and looked at what was in it, his dad said, these are all his favorite things. And in it was a football sticker, half an orange crayon, um, a toy car, and a green pencil. And I turned to his dad, and I said, I can't take this. And his dad said, no, we've talked about it, and he wants you to have it to say thank you. I know. (laughs) But that gift was the most, I've still got it, that gift was the most memorable to me. It didn't look like much to anyone else. But Daniel and I knew that he'd given me his heart. He'd given me, he'd shared his heart with me. And that is all that God invites us to bring. Our hearts that may not look like much to anyone else, but to say, God, what I have to give you is my heart. Saul had actually said in the temple, God, you're faithful to those who live wholeheartedly in your ways. Wholehearted living is to receive all that God has for us and to bring the offering of our hearts in return. And as we come with our envelopes, our hearts, I think because of what is written in the Bible that God actually has a moment of wonder and gratefulness too and actually looks upon us with delight and thinks, they're giving it to me, they're giving me their heart, they're giving me their life, because it says throughout the Bible, he's one who longs for us, he's like a jealous lover, he's the one that will leave the crowd to go after the one out there, not because he needs us, but because he made us for friendship with him, and he has so much to give us, excuse me, And it says in Romans 12, God, helping you take your everyday ordinary life, you're sleeping and you're eating and you're going to work life, and just place it before God as an offering. It's the best thing that we can do. And throughout the Bible, it's all bring you sacrifice of praise, of wonder, of good works, of loving one another. These are the kind of things that we get to offer to God. And as we come with our hearts, we can be confident that he will receive We do not need to wonder. He will receive and consume our offerings and our sacrifices with his presence. I don't know. We may see tongues of fire, but I haven't yet with my own eyes. But who knows whatever God wants to do. But there's a talk in the Bible about having burning hearts, (laughs) about living with hearts. Even if we don't see fire, we can experience as we sung of this morning his presence. His presence, his power, his strength, his freedom, his peace, the love that he has for us, we can experience it and live in it as temples of his places of wonder and gratefulness. And this is what we get to respond with, our worship. We get to sing again the ancient stories of how he is good, how he is faithful to us, how his love never runs out, how there is always, always more. We get to stand in the place 
where he is as he gives himself to us. And we get to cultivate wonder and gratitude and awe as we walk with him, as we live from this place of belonging in him. G.K. Chesterton says, we perish not for want of wonders, but for want of wonder. And I don't know about you, but I do not want to perish for want of wonder. I want to live alive and cultivate this sense where I remember all that God has done and all that he will do. And we're going to take a moment in just a second to reflect on this. But before we do, I don't know if you're going to get up tomorrow morning or Tuesday morning or Wednesday morning and think, what does this have to do with today? What does this have to do with my every day? And the truth is, every day hits us. But if you choose to return to God again and again and again, wherever our hearts may have wandered last week or last month or last night, if we choose to return, the truth is we can wake up tomorrow morning and you'll put your own name. But the first thing you might want to say is, Joe Wells, Vicky Cavallina, whoever it may be, well, whoever you are. <laughs> we'll all be there too, but say your own name. <laughs> Joe Wells is alive in the love of God. Joe Wells is in God's presence. Joe Wells is forgiven. Joe Wells can know freedom. Joe Wells is in the presence of God. And then we might just simply want to say thank you. Thank you, God, as the Israelites and the disciples did. And we might just want to bring our hearts, all of it, the joy and the sorrow and the questions. He wants it all because he cares about it all. And we just simply say, here's my heart for today. And if you don't know where to begin, I've got just six Bible verses, one for every day that will take us through until we meet again next week. And I'm not going to read them out for the sake of time, but just if you want to, if you don't know where to start, here they are. You can just read them, think on them, just take a moment, come back to them at lunchtime, read them at the, as the last thing you do before you go to sleep, and just ask God to help you live in these truths excuse me, allow them to take root in your life. And I wonder if the band would like to come back. That would be amazing. We're going to take a moment just to reflect um, on what we have read this morning. And if you don't want to engage with this, that is totally fine. Be free. Just enjoy the peace. Enjoy the music. But before we head off into the, the rest of our coffee time and the rest of the fun of today, of Sunday... Just to say also, if you don't have a Bible, just come and let us know and we can give you one. But before we head off, we're just going to um, take a moment to reflect. I'm going to read the passage again and then I'm going to ask us just some questions that you don't have to tell the answers to anyone. Make of this moment what you will. We have these few moments together to just reflect on all that we have sang earlier on, all that we have read today, and just think of our own hearts. So I wonder if we stand together and I'm going to read the passage again and then just give us a moment to reflect. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering. And the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. And when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on their pavement 
with their faces to the ground, and they worshipped. And they gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good. He is good. Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit ChristChurchLondon.org.